0: This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org.
1: What I love to do this evening is um, I'm going to invite my friend Katie up. um, And she's got a fantastic story that I really do believe um, is going to speak to many of you. And we're just going to ask her a couple of questions about her life and about her walk with God. Um, can we just give her a hand as she comes up? This is uh, Katie Lingard. And so Katie, I'd just love you to tell these guys how you came to faith, really.
0: Cool. Hi, guys. Um, first things first. Who thinks at the beginning of Amplify Jordan should wear these and do a little dance? (laughs) Not now. I've actually got a bit of a spiritual point about these. Um, Jordan's been preparing this Amplify venue in my garden. And um, as we've been clearing out some old PA kit, we found these. And I thought about the silly dance thing, which is a bit of an insight into my mind. But he didn't want to do it but that's fine but they've been bugging me because they do match the amplify sign and what what are you saying what what you're saying you're not letting me go with these things and essentially tonight again as I was singing and worshiping I had this picture over this venue that so often in life we are preoccupied with noise in our heads and particularly young people can you hear me all right by the way is it close enough Particularly young people, there's a bit of a stereotype that you always walk around with your earphones on. You're always plugged into your iPods and your your e-pads or whatever they are. And to some extent, that's true. Sometimes culture, popular culture, we want to listen to good music or sometimes it's just a way of blocking things out. We have these on and we have a pre-order whatever they're plugged into. And tonight, part of my journey, part of my journey as a Christian is a key point in my life where I decided to flip these down, unplug from the world, and plug in to God. So when you come to Amplify this weekend, what is on your mind? What is it? What, what are you worried about? What preoccupation is in your mind? Just flip those headphones down, put these ones on, and plug in to God. I might say more about that later. Firstly, how did I become a Christian? This is a cool little story. Um, So I grew up in a Christian household. I am the youngest of four. Every week, um, a big Baptist church, quite lively. And my biggest memories of church was being carried out on my dad's shoulder to get a smack bottom for being naughty, (laughs) which it was quite a lot in church. I was that kid, you know, just tearing around, mucking about, didn't want to be there. But my parents were quite strict, and they said, well, look, when we're at church, this is what we do. You're not allowed to muck about. Don't be naughty. You can bring your colouring. You can sit under the chair, whatever, but this is what we're doing. And so those, that discipline, those boundaries that my parents enforced actually paid off because I remember being quite young and under the chair of, of my mum, uh, my mum's chair, and she was worshipping, and I was colouring in, and I had just a profound... I, I had a religious experience. I felt the Holy Spirit come and fill me. And I was—I just knew, it's hard to put into words, I just knew God was real. Because he'd come and touched my life. Like Helen was saying earlier, God touched my life in a worship setting like we've had tonight. Um, and then uh, at some other point when I was a young child, probably after this, I then had quite a conviction one night... When I was in my bed, um, of how naughty I was, really, and the Bible sort of talks about this sense of conviction that we have before God, which is actually quite important. It's a conviction that we're and we are rebellious against God, and we do things wrong. We're not right in this world when we're separate from God. And as a young child, that played out in my life by lying to my mum and dad, stealing sweets, things like that. Um, generally being just quite naughty, and um, I had this conviction one night that, um, and amazingly, it came with an overwhelming sense of I am loved and accepted and forgiven. I felt God say those things to me, but He said you need to go and say sorry to your mum and dad for being naughty. I don't know what about. Maybe it's just a big general thing. And I remember creeping out of bed and going downstairs into the lounge, and. Quite boldly, really. I shouldn't have been out of bed in the first place. But I just went into the lounge, like, Mum and Dad, I just feel like God has told me I need to say sorry for blah, blah, whatever I've done. Generally being really naughty. (laughs) And um, they were obviously lovely. My dad took me back to bed, and he prayed with me that night that I'd always know God. And that was the first part. Next question.
1: Um, So... It's really interesting what you said so far. I know that you've got a lot to say about, about what comes after that and how God um, spoke to you and talked to you in, in the years following that.
0: Cool. Okay. Um, so quite a chaotic household. Like, don't we all, really? I sort of say, oh, my, my, my home life was not normal or... Dysfunctional, but I think most of us do. There's not really a perfect family. You might look at other families and think they're perfect, and yours isn't. But I don't think there is such thing as a perfect family. I was very aware that mine wasn't, um, and so we were. We are all Christians. We we were Christians growing up, but I essentially wandered away from God, and my parents kind of lost their grip on that discipline aspect of guiding me through my teenagers. They were they were pretty open handed and. I basically got into all sorts of relationships, drugs, alcohol, partying. I was just basically looking to have fun and feel alive. Um, So that was sort of my early to mid-teens. And basically, I'd had this episode one evening. I was at a friend's house. I was probably about 16. And and we were all smoking marijuana in the garden. And um, it was a really, really fun evening, um, we had loads of alcohol, loads of drugs. Don't do drugs, they're bad. But this one evening, the moon was chasing me around the garden because I was so high. And I remember thinking, yeah, this, this is cool, but is this it? Is this as good as life gets? Is this as fun as it's... G-? I'm definitely not going to do any more sort of drugs because I'm, I'm fairly sensible. And I just thought, I need more than this. I need more than this in my life to to experience and I made a very, my, basically what happened was my heart wasn't satisfied and I came back to God. I called out to God in a really simple, human way. I just said, God, I, I want you again. I want to know you again in a way that satisfies me and and in a way that I can feel and I can know. And as I've been preparing tonight to talk about my testimony, I felt God want me to bring out an aspect of my faith which really led me back to, him. and that was through reading the Bible. Um, I remember saying to God, I, I want to know you, I want to follow you i want to do th- I want to do this totally or not at all you, there can 't be a middle ground i can 't kind of go along to church or go along to youth group, but still be looking for fun by going to parties and always preoccupied with the thought of a boyfriend or what I look like or things like that. I want to I be satisfied with you, God, totally, or there's no point. And um, I'd been told that God speaks to us through the Bible. So I thought, okay, God, I want you to speak to me through the Bible. And I just remember one afternoon, opened it to the New Testament, and I just began to read. And the most amazing thing happened is I felt God speak to me. Not even necessarily about the words that I was reading, but I began to hear, and it's really hard to put into words. If you don't feel like you've ever heard God speak to you, when he does, you know it. And I just, I, I felt that feeling again that I'd had when I was younger. I knew this was God speaking to me, and he began to lead and guide me in my life. Um, did I give you another question to ask me that might prompt my memory of the next bit?
1: I just think um, we've spoken a lot, haven't we guys, this already over just the two meetings. God speaking to us in a real way. And the reality is many of us here um, are Christians. I know not all of us, um, but, but for many of us that will be your story, that you're, uh, you're a Christian. You've made that decision to follow Jesus, whether it was years ago or, or a few months ago, whatever it is. But you know Jesus, you know what it is to, to know him and to follow him. And yet you've been here and we've had two meetings now where we've spoken about God speaking to you. And I can imagine you stood there or sat there and you haven't really felt anything. And you've kind of, you you sat there as we were all silent and some of you sitting on the floor and you were saying, God, I really want you to speak to me. I really want you to to let me know that you're here. And, And you felt nothing and you haven't heard from him. I'm just wondering, Kate, if you'd be able to speak into that a little bit, just as as a final question.
0: Um, A really helpful way that you can begin to walk your life journeying with God, knowing he's speaking to you, is by practising it um, in community. We're built to be together, aren't we? Yes, of course, God speaks to our hearts, but often he speaks to us because he wants us to share his with others. And tonight was a wonderful opportunity and well done those people who came to the front and who were bold and said what God's saying. Well done, because it's really difficult to break those barriers with one another. But in my experience, that's been a key way of knowing, oh yes, that was God. Yeah, I was right in that because someone else maybe encouraged me afterwards and confirmed, wow, you, that really spoke to me. Um, okay, a quick story to show how how really God does speak to anyone. Um, I was at New Day this year, and in the Big Top, there was a fantastic sermon about prayer. It was stripped back, no frills. Come on, guys, you need to pray. You need to talk to God. And I was sat with my five-year-old in the Big Top. And um, all the way through this lady's talk, I, I was my mind was preoccupied of a lady in my church. Let's call her Alice. I could not get Alice out of my head all the way through this talk about prayer and um she did a great job and then she said okay guys up on your feet we're going to pray now um, let's start by praying for people people in your school or and I thought well I'm going to pray with my little girl Mary she's five I'm going to just see if she wants to pray about some things um try and engage her a bit and um I said okay Mary we're going to pray now who should we pray for she's like mommy I think we should pray for big nanny I was like, well, Mary, Big Nanny is dead. So we're not going to pray for Big Nanny. Shall we pray for someone who's alive? Can you think of someone who's alive that we should pray for? <laughs> and, she, and I said to her, so again, I was, I'm coaching, I'm training her. This is how you pray, Mary. I said, just close your eyes. God will tell you someone to pray for. If you can't think of anyone to pray for, God will tell you someone to pray for. So he's going to do that. And you just tell me who it is and we'll just crack on, pray for them. So she closed her eyes. Um, (laughs) When I closed my eyes, I just saw Alice, and I don't know why, because I haven't seen her for ages. I was like, wow, my mind had been preoccupied with Alice for the whole meeting. And I, duh, didn't think, why don't I pray for Alice? No, God chose my five-year-old to say, let's pray for Alice to impact her life. So I'm like trying not to cry because it was so emotional and so amazing that my five-year-old is hearing from God. Um, and we sat down and we had a little pray for Alice. I didn't go into too much detail. I wanted to be appropriate. So, really, it's kind of as simple as that. Sometimes you expect a big booming voice, you know, like Moses in the burning bush. Yeah, not going to happen, really. Maybe, might. It'd be amazing if it does. But mostly, God speaks to us in our mind. And he, it kind of sounds like your mind thinking. And so, when you then say, Oh, um, I think God, I, I heard in my mind Psalm 25, and I just feel I should read it, do it. Go to some and read it and have a heart that says, Lord, what do you want to say to me through this? And be open to what he might say. And if you feel like you have a picture of something that seems really random and disconnected, you just never know. If you go to the front of a meeting and say to Jordan, I had a picture of some earphones. I think someone needs to hear that they need to plug in to God. There might be someone else in the room that's like, Oh, it really? To hear that, that was amazing, and so you can think, Great God, you are talking to me. And once you know, Jesus says, Jesus is like the shepherd, isn't he? And he he talks about us as his sheep. And he says, When that when he speaks, his sheep really, what you've got to do is learn to listen to Jesus's voice, learn to let him lead you. Don't be like disobedient children who run away from their parents and no, and I'm doing my own thing try try and bend your will to say lord i want you to lead me help me to hear you and to know what to do and if you develop an ear for god's voice in your life and you act on it in community it's amazing amazing adventures that you're going to hear about later from josh when you do that it's really
1: cool thank you so much katie can we just thank katie for sharing the story In a moment, I'm um, going to come and share um, something that God has put in his heart. Um, Just before we do that, I'd just like to very, very quickly um, remind you that straight after this meeting, um, 3.16 will be open for you to enjoy and throw balls into hoops and buy popcorn and all the rest of it. So when that's finished, you can just stick around here, hang around as long as you want. Um, We'll be closing it around just before 11.00. I'm going to invite Josh up. Um, it's my friend Josh from Sweden. He has got some exciting stuff to, uh, he's going to bring to you, preach the word of God to you. Um, can we welcome him?
2: Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so I'm Josh from Sweden. Hello. <laughs> I'm actually super good at English. I am from England. Okay, so I'm not actually Swedish, I'm English. Uh, What I wanted to do was just start off by just sharing a little bit of my story. Um, I hadn't prepared to do this, but throughout worship, something that has been really clear is that God is speaking to us, that he loves us, that he loves everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, he loves you. And I just wanted to share a couple of minutes, just briefly telling you about who I am, because not many people in this room know me. So as I said, I'm Josh. I grew up in a Christian family. My mum and my dad were uh, Christian, and they uh, we took, they took me to church until I was about the age of 12 or 13, and I decided... Is, do I need to move the microphone at all? Is it that? Okay. Um, and I decided at the age of 12, 13, church was not for me. I had better friends outside of church, and so... I won't go to church. And I had quite a few conversations with my dad. And I said, you know what, dad, I don't really want to go to church. And he said, "Ah, son, yeah, you do want to go to church, don't you? I said, no, dad, I don't really want to go to church. He said, yeah, you do want to go to church. Come on, come come to church. And eventually I managed to persuade him and I stopped going to church. And that really started a cycle for me in quite a similar place to Katie where I was just completely away from God. I had run in completely the opposite direction direction from God and so I got involved into all sorts of stuff uh you know I I don't need to go into it but I I, I did everything I was trying to I was just trying to find what what could keep me happy for the day and I was living extremely selfishly I think for me the the lowest point came when I was probably about 15 um and I'd done all stuff i Basically kicked out of school, gone to a different couple of different schools. I, I wasn't getting on with life very well. But I think the worst thing that still to this day, um, when I think about it when I share it, is that I, I lied and I stole from my mum and dad. And that was something I was happy stealing from shops, stealing from friends. Uh, you know that that just didn't bother me. I. I my friendship group—we call it a friendship group—we just stole from each other. My friend stole my bike. I stole his mini disc, which I don't. Does anyone know what a mini disc is? <laughs> a couple of the older people do. It's like this little square thing, and you thought it was all the rage. It lasted about a year, and we just—you know—and so, but for me, I hit rock bottom when I started taking money from my parents. That's who I was of my teenage years that's who I was you can trust me I can trust my friends when I got into work I couldn't trust people I was working with I got sacked I got fired from all sorts of different jobs I was working sort of like South London sort of area got framed for stealing loads of money didn't steal the money because someone else stole it but they framed me and that was that was my life but I was always unhappy it never completely satisfied me. The next high, the next thing I'd steal, the next fight I'd be in, whatever. And there's one day that I, my dad did manage to get me. He had, he had to pay for a trip to Mexico, and then he did get me to church. So, and it was a meeting in an event very, very similar to this in Mexico where God just forgave me. He just forgave me. And as I said, I was not a very nice person. I didn't deserve forgiveness. But God forgave me. And in that meeting, we were similar to this. People were hands up, worshiping. And I was sort of like, "Mm, not sure what's going on really here. But then someone came up right at the end and said, do you know what, is there anyone who wants to give their life to Christ? And I was like, that's not Christ when I was younger. And then he said, is there anyone who would like to recommit to Christ? And I was like, "Ah, got me there. And I sort of, I put my arms out like this, just to, it's helpful sometimes to do something physical, my God, yeah, no, no I, I'm ready for you. And literally, as I did that, the tears started to flow. And I don't normally cry. You know, like, I went through my whole teenage years, I, I wasn't crying. I even, even now, when I watch, like, an emotional film, I, tr- you know, like, when it's, like, a bit emotional, when you, you're well up, and you're well up, and you're going to go, and you're going to go, I can't cry when I'm watching films. I try my best, I'm like... Pinching myself, I don't cry. But this time, when I felt God's forgiveness on done, I just I was an absolute emotional wreck. And guys, if you're not a Christian in here today, or if you are a Christian and you have a story similar to mine that perhaps you grew up or and similar to Katie's, you grew up in a Christian family and at some point you went away. God is here right now the God who made the galaxies as we sang about, that God the God is here right now and he forgives you and he welcomes you in and he says it doesn't matter what you've done he says I love you as we heard from one of the ladies that came up I love you And it's a love that nothing, nothing can compare to. And we'll have a time at the end to respond. We're going to sing a bit more at the end. Um, And I'll remind you of that at the end. But God loves you. There's a moment tonight. So that's my story. But as Jordan introduced me to, as his friend, which... Uh, which I am, I was going to say, we are. Uh, I moved to Sweden uh, four years ago. And hands up, has anyone ever been to Sweden? Has anyone ever visited Sweden? Got a couple of people, one, two, three. Can't really see many people. I can see Joe, four, five. There's about five people in this room who have visited Sweden, so not so many. So Sweden is in the north of Europe. It's a country of about 10 million people, which is like the same size as the population of London. So if you've been to London and you've seen like the millions of people that are out on the street and walking into you and doing all that sort of stuff, that's the same population as in the whole of Sweden, but Sweden is three times the size of the UK. So it's a really big country, very, very few people are there, but there's a whole bunch of clever people. So there's some really impressive things that have come from Sweden. IKEA or IKEA, Ikea is how you say it in Swedish, by the way. So if you want to sound Swedish when you go to Ikea, uh, IKEA, say Ikea. And that's how the Swedes say it. Uh, so Ikea has come from Sweden. Spotify. Does anyone like music? A few more people that have visit- Not everyone likes music. Amazing. Most people like music. Spotify has come from Sweden. Skype, if you're on your phone, uh, Skyping someone. That is something that was invented in Sweden. If anyone likes cars or vehicle transport, Volvo. So there's a lot of things that have actually... ABBA. Has anyone heard of ABBA? Has anyone seen Mamma Mia 2? Don't do it. No, it's good. It's good. It's a good sing-along. It's lovely. Meatballs. Meatballs. Loads of things. Loads of good things have come from Sweden. From quite a small population, they've made quite a few amazing things. And, of course, they're quite good at football. They got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Then it became Sweden against England. I cheered for Sweden. They lost. I cheered for England. They then lost. I cheered for Croatia. They lost. Uh, and in Sweden, this capital city is Stockholm. Um, I live in the second city, so similar to Manchester, I guess, uh, which is called Gothenburg. Uh, I moved there because I was on the hunt for Batman. Haven't, haven't found him yet. Still looking, still holding out hope. He's there somewhere. When I find him, I'll let you know. That's got about 500,000 people. So it's, it's not a massive city, but it is the second biggest uh, in, in, in Sweden. And so wh- why did I move to Sweden? Why did I move to Gothenburg? Kind of, not for Batman, maybe a little bit. Um, but the reason I moved to, to Sweden, to Gothenburg, was to plant a church, to start a church. So I moved over with a small group of people from the UK, from Wales and England. And we moved up with the mission to plant a church. I decided to move to Sweden about eight years ago in an event very similar to this called North. So before we had Devoted, we had North. And did, did anyone go to North? Oh, good, good. Ah, this is nice. So God spoke to me at North, and he gave me what I would describe as his heart for Sweden. And now I've already confessed that I don't cry that often. Okay? This is actually the second time... I'm going to tell you that I cry again quite a lot. (laughs) Maybe I'm just living in denial. Maybe I cry all the time. But um, I was in a meeting, and there was a time of response. And I responded. I I can't even remember what I was responding to, to be completely honest. And God just spoke to me. And it's probably the only time in my life I've really been like, like, almost like audibly heard God speak to me. And he said this. Sweden. And see, I'm a simple guy. He knows me well. And so I thought, ah, Sweden. And as soon as he spoke to me, again, the tears started to absolutely flow. And now I'm not just talking about tears Knows it's like I was completely a complete wreck and someone came over to pray, pray for me and said, hey hey what can I pray for and I was just like, oh <laughs> I just don't know what to pray and I was just crying and I was crying and it was the last day so I thought what Jordan said was great said, don't leave it until the last day because I was supposed to tidy up my tent and there I was crying and crying and crying someone came up to me and said it's time to tidy up the tent and I was like, I'm crying I'm crying because God is absolutely breaking my heart for this nation of Sweden, everyone else is just thinking I'm trying to get out of not having to tidy up the tent. It was a ploy, no, it was not a ploy. And God just gave me His heart for this nation. In John three sixteen, Jesus says this: "For God so loved the world." Son, you know God loves this world. He absolutely loves it so much so. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send someone he employed. He sent his son. Now, I have two sons. And the thought of me sending one of my sons is just, it's horrific. But God did that. He sent Jesus because he so loves the world. And so he gave me his heart for the nation of Sweden, for the city of Gothenburg. And I went. And so that's where I live today and as i was preparing and just praying through this i i feel and again as i said we'll have a response time at the end i believe that god is going to break some hearts tonight give some fresh desires give some fresh passions and god's going to speak he's alive and he speaks and so at the end we're going to spend a bit of time in prayer and worship. And I really feel that God is going to give different people, different passions, different hearts. And so we'll do that at the end. But what we're going to do today is look at a Bible in the Old, Test, um, a Bible in the Old Testament, a story in the Old Testament, Samuel 14. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them, although it's really dark. And so you probably won't be able to see them if you can open them. So it, the uh, scripture is going to come up on the screen in a minute. Maybe if, uh, yeah, if you have got your iPads or whatever, you can have a look. But one Samuel fourteen. It's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then one Samuel. My name is Joshua. My sister's name is Ruth. So the first three, like the order of the first three books, that I could like work out in the Bible. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It was like it was quite easy for me to remember because I was like, yes, I judge my sister. I love it. So it was easy for me to work that one out. Okay, so one Samuel fourteen. In the background to this story is found Is found in 1 Samuel 10 and God says this to a guy called Saul he, he wasn't a king he was just a guy called Saul and God says this he says you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies so the background to the story, the context of the story, is this. There's a king, who's Saul. So Saul becomes king. So he is king. And he's been promised by God that he will reign over his surrounding enemies. We actually find out that they're the Philistines. So the background, Saul, the king, is promised to reign over the, sur- over the people and defeat the surrounding enemies. And Saul has a son called Jonathan. Jonathan the commentators will not know don't know exactly how old he was but he wasn't older than much older than many of you in the room today so maybe 18 20 22 something around that age. Jonathan was the son of the king. And so God has this big promise to King Saul and he says this you're going to reign and you're going to save your people. And now the even bigger picture of the Bible is right at the beginning. God says, to make you a great nation. So right, the big story of scripture is this. It's really simple. I said, I'm a simple guy, Sweden, one word. This is the big picture. This is the big story. God wants a family. And so he says to Abraham, right at the beginning of the Bible is, I will make you a great nation. And so Saul gets to play his part in that. God calls Saul Saul to play his part, and he gives him a promise. I'm gonna make you king, you're gonna reign, and you're gonna defeat your enemies. But what we see when we get to this story, this piece of scripture, is Saul has forgotten God's promises. Saul has forgotten that God is almighty, he's in control, He's forgotten the promises of God. And so instead of Saul the king starting to take on the enemies and push out the Philistines, what we actually see when we get to this story is that the Philistines are coming to Saul and his army. And Saul's army, most of them, have started to scatter. They're scared. Why are they scared? The king's scared. Of course they're going to be scared. So they start to scatter. So we find Saul alone with perhaps about 600 people, a very, very small army, there's two swords. Saul has a sword. Jonathan has a sword. That's all the armory that is left. Things are not looking good for Saul and the people of God. 1 Samuel 14. One day, it's going to come on the screen, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan said this to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Okay, they're the enemy. Perhaps perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on, then we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come to us, and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. I love that expression, using his hands and feet. What else would he have used? With his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. God's people are losing. The enemy has all the weapons. The king is scared. The army, God's army, is running away. Then one day. Not a special day. Not a Sunday. Then one day. Day. One Jonathan takes a decision. Perhaps the Lord will act. So I want to look at three things this evening. First thing I want to look at is promises God's promises. Because we can find that our context can actually be very similar to the story we're reading. Now, there's not many of us, if any of us, who are threatened with an army outside our house when we get up in the morning. We're not threatened with death, but we can find ourselves in a similar setting, like everyone is against us. I know that the majority of you in this room go to school, or perhaps are soon going to start university, and perhaps you can feel like you are the only Christian in your school the only person in your class or in your friendship group who is a Christian and who loves God. And it can feel like surrounded by enemies. So very similar to the story. Surrounded by people who perhaps laugh when you talk about what you did on Sunday or what you did on the bank holiday weekend. When I was in primary school, I think I was in year two, it was show and tell. Show and tell it. Everyone know show and tell? Yeah. I got to show and tell about my dad. And I said this. My daddy prays for people. And this was in front of the class, in front of the teacher. I said, My daddy prays for people. I was really proud and I loved my dad. My daddy prays for people. And he was at London train station the other day and there was someone who had died. And so what does my daddy do? Because my daddy prays for people. He went up and prayed for him. And you know the next thing that happened? He stood up. And the man was healed. As I said that, everyone in the room laughed. Year two, probably about eight years old. Everyone laughed. And the te- I can still remember it. And the teacher came forward to me. She sort of knelt down, leant down. She said, Oh, Joshy, 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 Joshy. Those stories don't happen. That wasn't right. Surrounded by enemies, even at the age of eight, sharing a story that made me so excited and happy to be like, hey, this is my dad, this is my dad, this is what God does. Everyone laughed. Perhaps you can relate to stories like that. I, I, perhaps I know you can relate to stories like that. School is difficult. Life is tough, even outside of school. Sport groups, home life. It can feel like we are surrounded by enemies. So this story is super, super relevant, and we can learn some stuff from it. And the first thing we can learn is this. Promise. God's promises get us through tough Situations hold on to them, hold on to them. Jonathan was aware of promise, he was aware that God had this big picture, this big picture about bringing to him a big family. And Jonathan would have been aware that King Saul, his dad, had a part to play in in defeating the surrounding enemies, he was aware of promise. And so Jonathan went for it because he was aware of promise. So what about us? What promises are there that we can be aware of when we feel so hemmed in, when we feel that our enemies, whether at school, whether at home, whether at sports club, wherever, when we feel that they're coming in towards us, what promises do we have to hold on to? Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's three promises in there that I want you to hold on to when you start school, thinking about university, go home, go to sports club, whatever. The first one is this. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. That is a promise. He is the king. Jesus is the king. That is literally it. Jesus has all authority. He is the king. He is the king. I, as I said, used to live here. I'm now a tourist here. So flying into London yesterday... I did touristy things. I went to Buckingham Palace like a tourist with my camera, taking photos and stuff. And I saw the impressive Buckingham Palace and all the people around and the police with machine guns, like proper machine guns. And I was like, wow, this is impressive. The Queen, she has no authority compared to Jesus. All authority has been given to me. Jesus the King. So if you're having a good day, Jesus is the King. All authority. He's in control. If you're having a bad day, should I say, when you're having a bad day, Jesus is the King. He's in all authority. Jesus is the King. All authority has been given to me. Promise number one hold on to it. Jesus is the King. Number two, promise number two. Jesus says this, go and make disciples. Promise, people will get saved. People will get saved. When God started speaking to me about Gothenburg, I got really excited about what we could one day see there. And then I opened up a newspaper and had a look. And there in the newspaper was this statistic. Sweden is the fourth least religious country in the world. So there are 195 countries. Sweden is the fourth least religious. So my dreams about seeing a big church, suddenly I was hit with a reality. I'm going to a nation, I'm going to a city, I'm going to people that would say, Forget about the Bible, it's, a it's been disproven, Jesus wasn't even real. That's the people that I'm going to. And so suddenly I realized the task that was in front of me. But I dreamt. I dreamt about a big church, a church that is loving, a church that was like full of people your age worshipping God and loving God. I I dreamt about a church that's seeing regular salvation, seeing people come to Jesus and saying, oh, wow, this is amazing news. Where do I give my life to this God? I dreamt about that church, even though knowing that in the newspapers it says Sweden is basically the least religious country in the world. How could I do that? I am aware of promise. I'm aware that Jesus said, go and make disciples. I'm aware that people will get saved. Even when you look at number four in the world and you're thinking, the enemies are surrounding me. I'm number four in the world. I'm going to a country which is number four in the world. Enemies everywhere. No. Well, yes. But no. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, go and make disciples. And so let's remember that as we go into school as we go into our life let's remember this second promise God will bring people to him God is still wanting a big family we have also been caught up in the same story that Saul was caught up that Jonathan was caught up God wants a big family and so when he says go and make disciples he's not going to tell you to do something that you can't do We can all, all of us in this room, we can all see our friends come to Christ, people we live next to. It's a promise. And then the third promise is found at the end. He says, Jesus says this, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And again in John, I will not leave you. I will come to you. Promise number three is this. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. Perhaps you've been through situations and you think, is God really with me? Is Jesus really with me? Why, why would he allow that to happen to me if he was with me? Why would he allow that to happen to my best friend, to someone in my family, if he was with me? Why? It's at times surrounded by enemies that we need to we need to hold on to these promises. And the promise is this He is with you. He is with you. Three promises to hold on to. There's loads of promises through Scripture that we can look at, which we're not going to, but three out of the great commission. He has all authority. People will get saved, and he is with us. Let's hold on to those as we go out, out from devoted, as we go out into the world where there's a lot of Christians than there are Christians. It can always feel very cozy in here, and it's great. And it's really, really good. But this is the most important part is when we finish and we go out. But when we go out, we'll be surrounded. Three promises. He's the king. We'll see people saved. And he's with us. Second thing, just quickly to touch on. Jonathan says this. He goes on to say to his armor bearer, his servant, his loyal friend. He says this, perhaps the Lord will. Will act, perhaps. So Jonathan's aware of promise. He's aware that he's been caught up in this big picture of of God's people expanding, extending. He's aware of that. And so, with that behind him, with that knowledge, he says, This perhaps God's going to act. That is an amazing attitude to have. Amazing. Because as a Christian, you are never guaranteed God is going to act if you go and pray for someone. You're never guaranteed that that person will get healed or that person will get saved. You have to get happy with the perhaps. Perhaps God will show up. Perhaps God will act. Perhaps that person will come to salvation. Knowing the promises, we've got to be happy with the perhaps. I remember talking to my wife before we moved to Sweden. I uh, and so I, from God, and sort of felt okay. No, I really feel passionate about Sweden. My wife Nina, it took her a lot longer. Even though she's Swedish, it took her a lot longer to realise that we're going to move to Sweden, basically. And we had a conversation one night, and we came to the realisation that God is not going to send through the post a postcard with exactly what our future is going to look like in the next 10 years, how big the church will be, um, you know, what I'll be doing for work, where we'll be living. We realized that you don't get postcards like that through the post very often. You've got to be happy with perhaps. God will act. And so for me, the reality was in the UK, I had work and a full-time Employment. My wife had a full-time employment. We had a place to live. We had friends. My wife had friends. I had a football club. Well, <laughs> a football team. Well, not even that. I played football. <laughs> I had all these things. Family really close. And in Sweden, I couldn't speak the language. I didn't have work. No family, no friends, literally we knew no one, nowhere to stay. It's like, it's a bit crazy really when you think about it, leaving all of that for a perhaps. But we've got to be happy with the perhaps. Because if we wait, like it's sort of like, wait, come on God. It might be that it takes years and years and years We've got to be happy with the perhaps. Jonathan was happy with the perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act. Look what happened. The Lord acted. Guys and girls, let's get happy with the perhaps. It would be amazing if we all leave here thinking, hey, school, Monday morning. You guys are going back to school. Sweden started school three weeks ago. But, you know, Monday morning, hey, perhaps the Lord will act. When I see a friend who's, you know, hurt themselves over the weekend and I'm do you know what, perhaps the Lord will act and we go for it I think it's really adventurous I think that the Christian life is super exciting because you don't know what's going to happen you really don't and it's stepping out, it's always stepping out perhaps God will act, perhaps he won't and that's okay and then do you know what you do You say perhaps again, and you say perhaps again. It's an adventure. Christianity, there's this thing that frustrates me so much, is this, that people say Christianity is boring, it's dry, it's religious. No. Christianity has got to be the greatest adventure. I think the definition itself of adventure is perhaps. Perhaps we'll make up the hill, perhaps we won't. Perhaps we'll break a leg, perhaps we won't. That's what adventure is. That is what Christianity is. It's perhaps. So aware of promise, but then saying, okay, knowing that God has all authority, knowing that he is in charge, knowing that he is with me, knowing that we want to see disciples made, perhaps. Mm. So question, what will you do? What will you do when that moment, that opportunity arises? Like, completely open and honest, I often mess up. I have a friend at work at the moment who's got a problem with his ears, and I just, I know I need to pray for him. But whenever the opportunity arises, oh, come on, come on. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not standing up here like, I, I do everything perfectly. No. I'm sure a lot of you are a lot more braver than me. Perhaps. What will you do? It's really exciting. Exciting to be a Christian. And the final, last thing uh, that we learn from Jonathan when he's surrounded by enemies, when his dad's cowering, is this. Jonathan does something. He does something. Simple. Simple. He does something. He's aware of the promise. Saul, his dad, was also aware of the promise. Difference. Jonathan thinks perhaps, and he does something. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up. So, it's no good knowing the promise if you don't live out the promise. It's no good knowing that Jesus has all authority if we don't live in the light of that. It's no good knowing that Jesus said, make disciples, if we don't live in the light of that. So when we hear the promise, when we settle the perhaps in our heart and in our lives, we need to do this. Go. We need to act. It's Super important. Jesus is going to build his church and he's going to build it through us. People are going to get saved, and they're going to get saved through us. Jonathan and the army, there's this incredible victory that day. That's because Jonathan went. And you can look all the way through Scripture. There's just this, this time and time again of people acting, people going. Hebrews 11, if you've read that chapter, is amazing. If you've not read it, read it. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's all about the Old Testament, the, the big characters in the Old Testament. You know, you got you got all the big characters: Abraham, Moses, uh, Noah. You've, you've got them all, and it talks about all these amazing stories. It talks about walls falling down, the Jericho, the walls falling down. It talks about lions' mouths being shut. Which, uh, when you like, just take, really think about that, it's pretty amazing. Walls falling down. Light lions' mouths being shut. Like, we can read and skip through that really quickly. That's amazing stuff. It talks about floods and Noah. All the way through Hebrews 11, as it does that, as the writer does that, he talks about what people did. So, for example, for Noah, Noah built. He heard from God, he heard a promise. The promise was. Something, I paraphrase, something along the lines of, There's gonna, it's going to rain. There's going to be a lot of rain, like Cumbrian-style rain, England-style rain. There's going to be a lot, and you need to, and so what did Noah do? He built. He heard the promise, he thought perhaps, and he built. All of the guys and girls in Hebrews 11, they, as I like to say, verbed it up they verbed it up they got on with stuff so they blessed, they offered, they spoke they refused they did stuff and you, you can just continue to go through the Bible the book of Acts again people just doing stuff and then of course we look at Jesus what about Jesus, did he verb it up? Did yeah John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus came. He ate. He slept. He drank. He laughed. He cried. Cooked barbecues. He carried the cross. Jesus verbed it up did things why because god so loved the world and he wants a family he wants children he wants sons he wants daughters i'm aware there might be some people who would not call themselves a christian here today the message of christianity is really really simple it's not about rules It's not about becoming a better person. It's this. Jesus came. He came and lived a life for you. He died a death for you. So that you could be welcomed in to the family. That's the gospel. That's the message of Christianity. Forget about laws. Forget about rules. Forget to shape up and become the best person. And then that's what being a Christian is. Like reading the Bible and praying and giving some money to charity. That's not Christianity. The message is this. Jesus verbed it up. He came. That's Christianity. Just as we, as we were worshipping, I just had this picture. I was just reminded of my tourist visit to London and Buckingham Palace. And I, there was these, as I said, there was these two guys with machine guns. There's police all around. And I just realized, basically, what Jesus did for us, is this. He, he, he got rid of all the obstacles in the way to God. He got rid of the police with machine guns. He got rid of the big scary gates. He got rid of all of that so that we could have direct access, not with the Queen of England, someone much better than the Queen of England, the God of the universe. He came. He verbed it up. He did that for you. Try and look at as many of you as possible as I say that. He did that for you, each one of us in this room. Jesus came. So let's ask ourselves the same question Do we verb it up? Because it's no good knowing promise if we don't live out promise. We need to know promise? Absolutely. When the enemy is around you, okay, wherever that is, you need to know promise. You need to be happy with the perhaps. But then you need to verb it up. Then you need to go. Then you need to act, talk, pray, build. Alan. Good. Is it going to be easy living life as a Christian? No, it's not. But being aware of promise, being aware that God is the king, that he is in complete authority, being aware that he will build his church, we will see people saved. And being aware that he is with us. That gets us through the difficulties. It, gets us, it should get us through the good times. But it should also get us through the most difficult day. Hudson Taylor uh, is a man who was alive. And he uh, is a bit of a hero. He's very, a very impressive man. He was a guy who was called to China when he, he became a Christian. And then literally within months, he felt God speak to him about China. And at the time... And he was about 17, so probably the same age as some of you in this room today. God spoke to him about China. And at the time, China was, yeah, there was not many Christians in China. People said to him, don't go. They said to him, it's too dangerous. They said to him, you've only just become a Christian. They said to him, you're too young. Hudson Taylor went was aware of promise and he said this perhaps perhaps the Lord will act perhaps God will save perhaps God will do something today you could argue that China has the most Christians in it in the world Thousands come into Christ every day. Hudson Taylor, the 17-year-old, who had only just become a Christian, it took him a few years to prepare to go to China, but God spoke to him at 17. He laid a foundation that today, reaping thousands and thousands daily to Christ. Because he was aware of promise, he said perhaps, and he went. He said this, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they knew he was with them. I'm going to say that again. All God's giants, the Hudson Taylors, the Abrahams, the Moses, the Noahs, whoever, have been weak men. I think we heard that earlier. They've all all made mistakes. And they all did great things for God. Why? Because they knew he was was with them a king with them imagine just imagine what would happen if all of us in this room acted like Hudson Taylor like Jonathan perhaps Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the King. Therefore, therefore, go. And I was not aware, but now I'm aware that Jeremy shared quite a similar message this morning. I don't know exactly what he shared, but I know it was about arrows. I know it was obviously about being sent. And now I'm talking to you about going. I'm talking to you about action. And that doesn't necessarily mean to the nations. It might mean to the nations, and I pray it does for some of you. But it might just mean going to a friend who looks, going to someone who's not your friend, who looks down on the playground. But go, verb it up, do something. Do something, aware of promise, tool. perhaps God will act and then go we're going to have a moment to respond now and what I want us to do in a minute is I want us all to stand and I just want us to sing a song and as we do it I want us to sing it seriously from the bottom of our hearts you know I have many many friends who don't know Christ the majority of the people I know in Sweden do not know Christ and my heart breaks for them which if you're Christian here today you're in such a privileged position father is the king you can walk past those guards at Buckingham Palace straight into the King's presence because of Jesus don't we want our friends our family even people we don't know to know that to be in the same position So let's get serious with God. And we have an opportunity right now to get serious and say, Do you know what, God? I am serious. I'm serious about your promises, and I'm serious about going. (laughs) Such a privilege. Such a privilege to be able to be called a son of God, a child of God can ask us to stand.